You're listening to Something Real, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. On today's Something to Talk About, we're discussing Sunday's message called Worth More. And there's a lot to get into here, uh, some really good discussion. I do want to uh, preface this with an apology. Um, I'm sorry about the audio quality. We had some issues with the recording, so we ended up pulling the audio from our Facebook live stream sounds fine. You just need to might need to listen a little closer. Um, while I'm on that topic, though, uh, if you are able, be sure to check out our live streams every Tuesday at 10 a.m. on the Real Life Community Church Facebook page. Uh, we do the podcast live, and so you can kind of hear it ahead of time uh, before it gets published here on Anchor or wherever you get your podcasts. So yeah, be sure to check that out. Until then, enjoy this episode. Okay, so we are in Luke chapter 12, correct? We are, yeah. We talked about the first uh, the first 12 verses on Sunday and um, really looked at this idea that um, that as we're, as we're focused on things of this earth, this is going to be a, a theme for chapter 12, as we focus on the things of this life in the temporal uh, world, that diminishes our connection with the reality that is bigger. And so our core reality on Sunday was that hypocrisy is revealed when earth's fears obscure heaven's reality. And so uh, Jesus was speaking to his disciples. He's got crowds of thousands trampling on one another. Uh, And as he's um, dealing with this crowd, and he's going to speak in parables to the crowd, he starts by turning aside to his disciples and saying, listen, you got to be on your guard against the same kind of hypocrisy that the Pharisees have coming up in you. And specifically that goes into this idea of the fear of man as opposed to the fear of God. So as you're, um, as you're going about your business, if you start to think the way the Pharisees do on the external things, on how people look at you, on your reputation, on your temporal safety, then you are negating or denying or disowning the truth of the reality of God in Christ um, because you're focused on now and sensory things as opposed to eternal things that are more real than just what you perceive. So that was kind of the the focus as we went through. Well, I think that's a good place to start as far as um, questions. (laughs) Um, Because when when we think about, we talked about hypocrisy a lot uh, last week. Was that just last week? Wow. Time flies. Wow. Having fun. Uh, we talked about it a little bit last week, but in this context, um, when he's talking about fear and hypocrisy is revealed when uh, Earth's fears uh, obscure heaven's reality, that's heavy. Yeah. Uh, because, and it's a little convicting because everybody has fears. Right. Everybody is afraid of something, and as much as you might not want to, and then you're scared of something and then you feel guilty for having fear and then it's like this cycle. And how do we, it's hard to hear the word hypocrisy as a a Christ follower because obviously you don't want to be a hypocrite. And we all are in in some ways, but you don't want to. And that's specifically why I made a point of using the word because I wanted to make it as uncomfortable as I could. Well, congratulations. Because I feel like Jesus was deliberately making it uncomfortable. You know, as if we just look at the general picture of the chapter, and he's talking about you know um, getting our priorities right. The priorities of, of eternal things are more important and greater than the etern- than the priorities of earthly things. And so we'll see that in next week's message as we work through the, pretty much the rest of the chapter. 
looking at, at this idea that, that the more I focus on on the concerns of this life, of these earthly concerns, then I throw away by doing that heavenly priorities. So I won't do the things that God calls me to do because I'm seeing this now as so important and so weighty. Because it's all we know. <clears throat> it is all we know. And, that, and that's a really important... We were talking in the youth group uh, Sunday night on a separate issue about uh, giving giving up my life, my all for Christ. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to say that. Yeah. It's a lot harder to do that because they said they saw the same things that uh, that one of our, our uh, listeners, one of our uh, folks wrestled with that you mentioned that this is all that we know. I don't right. un- I don't understand those unseen things right. because and it's they're even, unseen. It's even just kind of sometimes hard to even fathom. It because is. we can't wrap our minds around it. And that's why we're called to walk by faith rather than by sight. And so when we're talking about walking by faith, we're saying, okay, I recognize that there is a reality that is bigger than what I can see, than what I can comprehend right now. And so I'm going to live according to that reality rather than living according to what I understand and what I see. So Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 becomes one of the most central verses in all of Scripture for that very reason. We need to, to trust in the Lord, period with my whole heart, with all that I am, with everything that I get. I trust in Him. I trust in His Word. I trust in what He tells me. What He says is real, even if I don't perceive that as real. So I don't lean on my own understanding. If I can trust in the Lord more than in my own understanding, then as I do that, I submit my ways to Him. I acknowledge Him in all my ways. And as I do that, he'll straighten the paths out for me. He'll make my path straight. He'll take care of what needs to be taken care of. He'll handle my protection, my provision, all of those things. But if I focus on chasing those things, then I give up on God. And uh, you know, we saw that in even in uh, Second Chron- or First Chronicles, one of the Chronicles. I can't remember which one. That was Chronicles. And so, what those Chronicles? Uh, it was First Chronicles. And and so we're we're looking through David's. Uh, instructions to Asaph and the priests and how to go about worship and declaring uh, declaring the works of the Lord. And all of these things give us the opportunity to get caught in, in oh, there's giants in the land. Oh, there's Goliath. Oh, there's Amalekites and Philistines. Oh, there's whatever opposition I face in this life in my current setting. Or I can trust that God's going to handle it. Because as I look back over the history of the world, God has always kept his promises to his people, even when it made no sense at all from a human perspective. And that's where my faith isn't just blind faith. It's based on the reality that I know is true of God. Now I have to choose to keep that at the forefront of my mind, not the background. And and we have a tendency to do that, I think, I think maybe more so in our American gospel kind of mentality, and that's why we have things like the prosperity gospel that, that becomes such a big deal, because we we want the the sovereignty of God, the, the character and nature of God there, so we keep our faith kind of in the background, and and we put Christian terms on things, but in reality, we live, there was a book out the uh, last couple of years called The Christian Atheist, we live as if we're atheists. We live as if there is no God, that that isn't the reality, and we have to do all these things ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that leads to fear. It leads to anxiety and difficulty, a lack of confidence in God, and an excessive confidence in 
not not necessarily what we consider confidence in ourselves, but but we're putting the weight of things on ourselves. If I can understand it, if I can do it, and if I can't, that's where my anxiety comes from. I start to feel like, oh no, I'm not good enough. I am not able to do this. Well, of course you're not. That that's a given. Start with that and understand this is all God. Period. But where's the line for that? You know, it's not. I mean, I've been dealing with some of this stuff myself lately. Like, where's the line of, I don't want to just, you know, and maybe I should. Maybe I should just sit here and be like, I'm not going to do anything. God's going to totally handle this or sure. whatever. So where's the line of that and I need to do something? Right. And I, I, will, I will still have, you know, I believe that God's going to guide me through this. And I believe that, you know, he's got my, my protection in mind. But what do I do to... To, what do I do for myself, and what do I do for this situation? Yeah, that's where Paul calls the Philippians to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, to be able to to, to go, um, you're smirking at me like I did something wrong. No, you're fine. <laughs> Your computer just died. Are you serious? <laughs> so we might have to use this audio, Oh but no. that's okay. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> we failed to plug it in today. Yeah, I would do that now, but it would kind of take away from the last year. So anyway, as we're, as we're, um, as we're, pursuing this life of faith as we're pursuing this Christian life Paul says you got to work this out with fear and trembling in other words you're going to struggle you're going to have a hard time figuring all this stuff out that's part of the process right. kind of like the the, uh, the butterfly emerging from the from the cocoon from this chrysalis as it uh, works its way out, it's struggling. And that struggle is what makes it stronger and develops it to be able to survive. So finding that balance is is not really so much balance as it is working out the implications of what that means. That's where the whole counsel of Scripture becomes really important because if we take just individual verses, you know, we look at this and we say, oh, wow, you know, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to make sure that I'm focused on, on the Lord. And yet, when we look at the whole picture of it, he's not telling them, don't do anything. Right. He's specifically telling them, do something and don't worry about the results. Right. I'll handle it. Right. So I go forward. I do the best that I can. I take care of my responsibilities. We look at, at the Old Testament when the Lord tells Israel, all you have to do is be still, and I will win the battle. And yet, in that same being still, he calls them to take up their sword, to go do yeah, what you right, have to do. Right. So go put your foot on the necks of these kings. But God's the one that wins the battle. So you can go in knowing, however this turns out, whatever happens, you're still putting on your armor, you're still going into the battle, you still go take the city, but I've already got this figured out. I've already won this. That's the call that he gives to to these disciples. And, and specifically, he says to them, you know, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of this, is verse 4, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do, do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So he's saying in verse 4 and 5, fear God. Right. This is a New Testament call. Some people have said, well, the Old Testament says fear God. The New Testament is love Jesus. No, here is absolutely Jesus himself saying, fear God. But what that means is, understand, God is the authority. God is the power. And all the rest of these things that you naturally fear, small potatoes. If the worst imaginable scenario plays out, absolutely the worst thing in, that you can imagine comes to pass, and sometimes it does, God's still in control. And ultimately, that's all going to end. 
we're all going to die and leave this place, then what? So he says, get, get focused on that. With that in mind, the very next verse is talking about, look, God cares about these sparrows, and he cares about you way more than that. So the one that you have reason to fear actually cares about you. And because he cares about you so much more than many sparrows, you can understand, in the words of the very first VeggieTales episode, God is the biggest and he's on my side. So if God is, to borrow from that song, bigger than the boogeyman, whatever it is that I fear, whatever monsters might be real out there, they're still temporary and small compared to the living God and the reality of eternity. So where that becomes hypocrisy is when I begin to to, to say, okay, I, I believe in God, I believe that God is everything, that, that he is the Lord, he is the creator, the master, I owe all to him, uh, he calls the shots, he is my, my, my sovereign uh, and my savior. But I really see all of this stuff is real. It becomes hypocrisy because I'm claiming a particular reality, right, okay. but I'm living as if these other things are a greater reality. Now, that's not to say you you <coughs> won't you don't you know believe all that and then try to follow all that, and you still won't be scared from time to time. For sure, absolutely, and and so Jesus is acknowledging these are natural fears. Right. There are a lot of things that we see there, and and as we walk through life. Um, hypocrisy isn't having the fear. Mm -hmm. Hypocrisy is giving into the fear. Get, saying, okay, this is okay. This is who I am. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. just going to stay here. I mean, I think about these big, you know, notable biblical figures uh, like uh, Moses, for example. You can't tell me Moses wasn't terrified sometimes, right. but he, but it's what he did, and in in the, spite of, despite the fear. That's right. So when he when he talks back to God, when he fights God on it, says, Lord, I, you know, I can't really talk, so right. you got the wrong guy, God then in that, to the extent that I'm fighting God in this, that's my hypocrisy. Okay. Now, God is saying at the same time, Moses, I got this, right? Well, Moses also hasn't fully grasped it yet. Right. So it's a progressive thing. It takes him the rest of his days on the planet to get to that place where he actually gets it fully. And then even after he gets it, he kind of falls back, and then he gets it, and he falls back, and he gets it. That's a pretty good lesson for the rest of us. We see that pattern over and over again where I can know it, but working it out in my daily life, probably I'm going <laughs> to struggle. I'm right. going to stumble. Uh, in fact, uh, our friend Erin Presbolinski posted on, on uh, her Facebook page uh, from, I think it was from Exodus, that she was reading it, uh, or it was Deuteronomy. It's one of the books of the Torah. I, I don't oh, Deuteronomy. Exactly. And so she's, you know, she posted this little by little concept mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. that as God was driving out the nations before Israel, I, I'm not going to do it all at once because the land couldn't sustain. If that was the case, then you'd be overrun. So this process of going in little by little, I'm still controlling. You're going to fight these battles, but really I'm going to fight these battles. Right. You're going to take the land, but really I'm going to deliver the land. I'm already telling you I'm giving you this, but it's going to take time. It's going to be a little-by-little little process. And that's a really good example. I thought Aaron uh, really made a great application from that. It wasn't the point in that particular story. It was a great application from that story in the reality that God handles our lives that way. Right. If, if it was just I'm saved and... Boom, everything is well, done. Well, and I think that's the, a misconception that a lot of people have, or not necessarily that everything's just changed immediately, but, but it's it's almost a little convicting when you feel like you should be this way and you're not right, right. away. Exactly. So I know it, and I see these things that I should be doing, right. 
Why am I not doing it? Right. I see these things that I should not be doing. Why am I still struggling with it? Right. That doesn't make sense. Paul says the same thing in Romans 7. I see the things that I want to do, and I don't do them. And right. I see the things that I hate, and somehow and that's what I that. keep right. doing. Right. I'm doing the things that I hate. But I know that's not me. And that seems so stupid, but it, we all do it. <laughs> it is, right. But it's part of that little by little development right. as we grow. And that's you know exactly why uh, God, through Paul, then exhorts us in the church, don't make don't allow your leaders as you're finding your leaders they need to be qualified in all these ways and one of those things is they must not be a recent convert mm-hmm. where because we get that idea that oh i'm saved therefore boom everything is good right, right. well you can be the wisest and, and strongest and smartest person in the world right. but if you're a recent convert and you think it just all comes together like that you can become puffed up you can become arrogant and that happens a lot of the time when we see that we as americans really love gifted people right. so we see a gifted singer whether it's a lauren daigle or whoever else and we exalt them because they have this specific gift well that doesn't mean that they are mature leaders spiritually and that's not to condemn them that's just reality right. the, so a singer is not the same as a pastor or a theologian and we try to to put that weight on them as if they are. We see even pastors. We see someone who's a gifted speaker, and we want to make them suddenly this Christian celebrity, if I can use that term. that can be dangerous. It's hugely dangerous. But that same thing that makes those things dangerous is why our daily lives are worked out little by little. As we walk through life, fears come. Mm -hmm. And and that's a struggle. But But we don't condemn a child learning to walk when they fall down. We don't punish them with, oh, you fell, I'm going to spank you, you terrible child. That's not how it works. They're they're learning to work these things out. And it takes that stumbling and it takes that falling. But if they don't keep trying, then there's an unhealthy situation there. There's something that's not Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. If they're 12 years old and they're still not walking because they're sitting there saying, well, you know, this uh, is just who I am. We recognize that that's not a healthy situation. And then we become hypocrites as parents if we treat them like 12 year olds when they haven't developed normally as 12 year olds we have to treat them according to that development so before i go too far off and start talking about parenting the 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 reality of that in our lives is that just because i know a reality i know a truth doesn't mean that i'm in the habit or have the experience of putting that truth to work Mm -hmm. so i can know that God's got all my problems taken care of. Right. But I still see those problems. Right. And that natural fear comes up in me. That's not sin. That's not hypocrisy. Where it becomes hypocrisy is where I, when I say, okay, I see that, and I'm going to ride with that. I'm going to go ahead and focus on now rather than trusting God. That's, I guess, where, when you said balance, that's really where that line starts to come in is, who's in control of this? Is God or am I? Now, that doesn't mean I always recognize that. Sometimes I fail first and then recognize it. Seems oh, like something shoot. that would come and go in waves. Absolutely. And, and you know, I'll, I'll have to fight myself on any number of things. I hear another ridiculous story of scandal in the church and I get angry. Right. And then I have to remind myself, it's not my church, it's God's church. Right. He's got this. I know how this turns out. I will still be angered by this sin, but I'm not overwhelmed by it because God's in charge. When I see my own failings and I... Lord, how could I fail this way again? How could I lose my temper? How could I you know, be concerned about the fear of man and what people think of me? How can I be that way? And it's so easy 
for me to fall into depression and despair over my own frailty and, and faultiness. And then I remember, I have to remind myself, this is not who I am. Who I am is a child of God. And I know that my destiny ultimately is to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. In the process, I'm still walking through that. And sometimes I stumble. And I just press on. I can't... Sounds like a DC talk song. Well, they're pretty good about that. <laughs> uh, and, and I can't get caught up in that. I, I, I think even in, in grieving our own sin, I think of David uh, after he sinned with, with Bathsheba and he repented uh, of his adultery and he repented of his murder and still had the consequence of this child uh, that right. was conceived then dying. And so while the child is sick, David is fasting and tearing his clothes and he's praying and he's weeping. And when the child dies, he gets up and washes his face and goes on. And people are like, wait a minute, what's the deal? You should have been, you should be grieving now. What were you grieving before? And, and David's like, I can't bring him back. Right. I've done this grieving. I, in the meantime, I was hoping and praying that God might relent. But this is done. Now we move on. There are any number of consequences that come from our choices all the time. We can't stop the waves from, from rippling. But how, if we just sit there and dwell on that, then we never move forward. So I guess, you know, as we talk about the, the, the hypocrisy because we have fear, the hypocrisy really comes when we accept that fear. That's why Jesus says, be on your guard against this yeast this yeast of hypocrisy that the Pharisees have, that you're going to have this come up, so you're going to have to see that yeast, and just like a, a Jewish family at Passover, you got to get that yeast out. You have to remove that, because it's there, and it's going to do bad things in you if you leave it. Be on your guard. When you see that, kill it. Get that out of yourself. You're going to have fears. When you have those fears... That's when I have to make a choice. That's when I remind myself of the truth of God's word. That doesn't make it easy, but it does make it real. And you know, to borrow from the great theologian John Wayne, courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. That really is a pretty good picture of what our faith walk is like. I see it. My flesh cries out because I'm used to listening to my flesh, mm -hmm. and I choose to listen to the Spirit anyway and, and to walk forward. Okay, let's switch gears to a lighter subject. Blasphemy. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Uh, Jesus mentions uh, in this chapter as well, um, you're going to have to read what, what he says about blasphemy okay. there. Yeah, so... Um, I don't want to screw it up. <laughs> so in, uh, in the section, uh, verses 8 through 10, yes, 8 through 10, um, Jesus, right after talking about this fear of man, uh, says to his disciples, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be t disowned before the angels of God. So that that's pretty clear. Right. If I'm ashamed of him, I'm really not saved. I mean, right. if I'm going to hide hide Christ uh, and, and not be public with my faith, right. then I don't have that faith, and I need to get right. So um, I, I think we've kind of diminished that in, in the the last 40 or 50 years of American Christianity, probably before that, where um, we've made it easy. We've, you know, some, in the 80s they called it easy believism. In the 90s they called it easy believism, where I can say a prayer and you know say the right words, and then I don't have to do anything else. Right. Uh, you know, you can, you know, <laughs> think of any number of um, youth conferences or revival type meetings where. 
um, where the, the, the preacher up front will, will say something like, you know, every head bowed and eye closed, just slip your hand up. You don't have to, right. we don't want to make you uncomfortable. You know, we don't want to, well, that's exactly the opposite. Now, the, the intention is good, and, and I've been a part of those. And I, I'm sure that at some point I've even said that in the past. Um, I, I would never say that now. Um, I shouldn't say never. I, there Maybe there's a context where that applies. But but one way or another, the, the reality of our faith has to be proclaimed publicly, or it is not the faith that we're called to in Scripture. In uh, Romans 10, if you um, confess with your mouth that, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. But if you don't believe and you don't confess it publicly... Then or if you don't confess it publicly, do you really believe? Right, exactly. <laughs> and that's exactly the point that right. it's making here. So if you're ashamed of me before men, I'm going to be ashamed of you before the Father. Right. If you disown me before men, I'm going to disown you before the angels of God. You use that so, you, you use that image on, on Sunday when you're talking about it, you know, and when you die and Jesus said, I don't know who this guy is. Right. That's, that's pretty so, intense. So he's very specifically right. and defensively saying... If you are hiding your faith, you're not saved. Right. You're not going to be here in the end. So we need to get that right. So then he goes on from that in verse 9 directly. I mean, it's in the English, we've got it broken up into, into the paragraph here. Uh, that's not there in the Greek. But the thought package, the thought unit there uh, is pretty clear. He continues, but whoever disowns me before, uh, before uh, others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. And, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And this is where we get the confusion part. We can get the disowning and acknowledging. Right. That seems pretty evident, pretty clear to us. Uh, even though we don't like it, so we might you know, try to soft pedal it. When we see this, the blasphemy part, then it's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. People talk about the unforgivable sin. This is an unforgivable sin because Jesus is saying you will not be forgiven. There's that forgiveness. phrase also is like super scary. Super scary. Yeah. When you hear all this stuff, you know, you've gone along reading the Bible and, and it's all about forgiveness and <clears throat> you will be forgiven and forgive others and da 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 da. And then there's this line that says, "This is unforgivable." It's like, whoa. Which again, <laughs> this is why it's super important for us to always focus on the whole counsel of God. Right. So that we let the Scripture interpret the Scripture rather than here's 90% of the Bible says this. Now we get one verse that says this. Right. Oh no. This is terrible. But if it doesn't match the rest, then our interpretation is wrong. We need to understand how this all fits together. That's where biblical theology becomes an important piece. So from Genesis to Revelation, God is telling one story. He's saying one one consistent truth through the whole thing. And if we see something that seems like an anomaly, that's not God being inconsistent with himself. That's us not quite getting it. So when we see the context and the flow of this, and, and it kind of comes to a climax in that particular section, when he, he's saying, look, all this hypocrisy, uh, it culminates in you not having this relationship. Mm -hmm. if, this, if this is defining you, you're not in this relationship. And in the context of that, he says, everyone who speaks against the Son of Man, which is a, a sort of a, a legal term for uh, who Jesus is referring to uh, the Son of Man in Daniel and in Ezekiel, which is that, that conquering Messiah, the, the, the ruler that comes. So, in other words, if you don't get this, if you, if you speak against me, the Son of Man, because you don't quite understand what's going on here, um, you, can, you can change your mind on that. You can be forgiven for those errors in judgment. 
but there's something different. There's something unique about this thing that he's saying about blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. He mentions it in Matthew and Mark as well. Uh, the context is couched slightly differently uh, as each of the gospel writers is putting these things together differently. But uh, in each of these cases, uh, the context seems to be pointing pretty evidently, even though the phrase might be confusing to us, it seems to be pointing pretty evidently, pretty pretty apparently, that um, the unforgivable sin here is not responding in, in one form or another, not responding to what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. And so I, I think the, the best understanding of this, uh, as most of the um, commentators or theologians that, that I would uh, regard as accurate on this would say, uh, is that ultimately this blasphemy that he's talking about is rejecting the call of the Holy Spirit moving in us to, to turn to Christ. Now it's related, as, as he mentions in the other Gospels, he, he, I think it's Mark specifically, he says that uh, the writer tells us that he says this because they were attributing um, his uh, casting out of demons to the devil. And so that's why he's saying it. Uh, I believe it's in Matthew, he says because, you know, that he knows their hearts, and he knows where their hearts are. So he's saying this to them. So some have tied this specifically to the Pharisees in this context, that this is their blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, and they will not be forgiven. And it doesn't apply uh, in the same way to anything outside of this context in the generation. I, I think that can be valid as far as the specific part of it. I don't know that I would say that's wrong, uh, but if that's all it is, then I have to wonder why is it included in Luke's account? Right. Because uh, right. it's it, he's moved away from that. That was a little farther back. And he's moved away from that here, and he's on a different um, track with the thought, and Luke includes it here. So it seems to be including what those Pharisees are doing because they're rejecting this gospel message, the message of the kingdom that Jesus is bringing as the Holy Spirit is doing his thing. So in the immediate context, yeah, perhaps talking about that, and we know for sure in the other account that that's connected. But in a broader sense, it seems to be that he's talking about the rejection of the uh, what they used to call the unction of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit moves in us and presses us. When we ultimately reject that, there is no forgiveness left because there's no repentance. And the Holy Spirit is calling us to repent, moving us to repent, and we're not doing that, therefore the forgiveness can't be there. What it can't mean, in light of all the rest of the scripture, is that there is something that we can do or say that then means, nope, God's never, no matter how much we repent or turn from, from that, God's never going to forgive them. That, that's going to be a stain that stays with us and nothing we can we do to change it. No matter what. Right. So what it appears to be is the, that hardness of the heart that has stubbornly rejected the move of the Spirit um, to whatever extent and because that leads to a death without repentance, it leads to an eternity without forgiveness. And, you know, I've heard folks say, well, it, it, if you reject the gift of tongues in, in modern times, that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Uh, that it, it can't be that. That's outside of this context. So you're reaching and taking a framework that you've already got. I believe this, therefore I'm going to put that into the text. That's not what it says. Um, 
So it can't be that. It can't be this idea of having a, a check mark that there's some some blasphemous thing that I can do or say that can never be removed. If that were the case, then Jesus couldn't say without contradicting himself in so many other places, if you believe, you'll be saved. Right. If, if that's the case. Because he's not asking, have you blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Right. He doesn't say, if you believe, except for in this case. Right. So, so clearly, if this were to be a specific sin that meant you were not allowed... <laughs> No matter what, the end. You know that's it. Right. Then all of those other statements would be invalid. Right. Jesus couldn't then say to the thief on the cross, "This day you'll be with me in paradise," unless he says, "Unless you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit." <laughs> so if you if you did this one sin, right. then you're stuck. Right. So it seems from the context here, from the the thought process, from. Um, from everything else that we see in Scripture, that the logical conclusion for us is that this blasphemy, this distortion of the picture of who the Holy Spirit is, this rejection of the truth, uh, is tied to an eternal, um, a, a final rejection of Him. You can word that different ways, and depending on what background you're on, it might lend towards saying it differently. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it, it seems evident that it comes to that. We've gone a little bit over our time here, but I think that was important to to get that out. One last thought, even though we're over, is, <laughs> no, is, is along with that, if you're worried about, since we can only repent when the Holy Spirit draws us to repentance, our hearts are too hard, we don't seek God, we don't repent, and we can't until the Holy Spirit softens our heart. If I am concerned about that, and that's my right. worry, then I clearly haven't committed that sin. Right. So... If the Holy but don't Spirit, worry. <laughs> well, no, I, mean, I mean that's the thing. So right. if I if I'm if I'm thinking, man, I, I really hope I didn't commit that sin. Right. An unregenerate person doesn't think that way. Right. An unregenerate person wants wants the the benefits of salvation, wants the right. benefits of God, but doesn't want Him. Right. So if I'm concerned about that sin and I want to, I don't want that in my life. That not wanting it in my life is part of the mindset that goes along with repentance. Right. That clearly means I. I have not committed that sin that I'm concerned about. It's a good way to end it. It's it better little, be because we're over time. It's a little hopeful. <laughs> All right, thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next time.